Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. The jar of clay is what? It's our, our, it's our earthen body. It's our, it's our flesh. We have this treasure in jars of clay, just like I did with the, with the hand and the glove. The strength of our lives, we can live in such a way that God is the strength of our life. It says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The word surpassing power there in the Greek, it says, the surpassing greatness of his dynamis. The word dunamis, the word ability, power, his surpassing greatness. That is what dwells inside of every believer. And we have it in our jars of clay, in our earthen vessels, in our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Your body. I mean, it's easy to think that, oh, well, spiritually speaking, I'm one with the Lord. But, you know, where does your spirit live? In your body. On this earth, the Holy Spirit actually lives in your body, in your flesh. And it says, do not you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? Come on, that's a powerful thought, isn't it? I mean, what would that mean if we think it out to its conclusion that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, I want to say this, though, as we get into this, not everybody has the Spirit of God dwelling in them. I think that's one of the mistakes of a lot of evangelism today. People go out and talk about God, and they assume that everybody has the Spirit of God in them. And that's just simply not the case. There, in the sense that every person has, every person has value because everybody is the object of his affection. I mean, we're the ones that he came to die for, right? Whether you have the spirit or not, whether you've received it or not, he loves you. He loves everybody. He died for everybody. You know, the Bible sees you as royalty that's been kidnapped by a dark kingdom, and he's come to rescue you. But as the in our present world, it's important to know that not everybody has the Holy Spirit abiding in them. If you'll read with me Romans 8 and verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, come on, say if, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Strong words, isn't it? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the Spirit of God is not in every person. Even if they think they're a good person, even if they think they've had an experience with God, there is something about a believer when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. Now, understand, this is what happens when, you know, you get saved, when you get born again. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you. Whenever you confess your need for a Savior, you know, when you recognize that he died for you and you believe that he did that for you, when you believe in your heart that he rose again, and you confess your need for him and invite him in, he comes and makes his home with you. The Holy Spirit moves in. What would it be like for the Holy Spirit to move into your life? I mean, what if you had a, you know, a really rich, rich friend who just needed to stay with you for a while, and he moved into your house, and he brought all his stuff with him? It'd be kind of cool, you know? Um, Think about that. With the Holy Spirit, he moves in with you, and he brings 
all of his power, all of his glory, all of his stuff. He doesn't stop being God just because he moves inside of you. God moves into you. It all happens when you get saved. I'm going to read Romans 8, 9 to 11. I want to put this verse in context. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, here he's called the spirit of Christ. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if, here's that if again, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. In verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, okay, there is no mistaking which spirit this is. Why? Because this is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead that wants to move in and make his home in you. If he, if he dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So he's talking here about the spirit dwelling in us. So once he moves in, I just want to tell you, you can grieve him, you can resist him, you can fight him, you can ignore him, but he doesn't move in and out and in and out and in and out. You know what I'm saying? This idea that, you know, I'm saved, I'm not saved, I'm saved, I'm not saved, I'm saved, I'm not saved. You need to get off that roller coaster, okay? He moves in, he's committed to dwell in you. You know, what we need to do is learn how to yield to him, to, to listen to him, to obey him, to follow him, to seek his counsel, right? Because he's there, he's present for you if you're a believer and God did his work in your heart. So he's not here to come and go, he's here to stay. But in another verse that I'd like to read this morning, uh, Jesus actually tells us that we should come and to abide in him. The Holy Spirit comes to abide in us. We're also invited to come and abide in him. It's John 15 and verse four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So Christ dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, we are able to abide in Christ. And I, want, I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this, and you know, there's a lot of different ways the Bible describes the miracle that happens, you know, when you get saved. And there's a lot of different ways that the Bible describes what we call, as, as Pentecostals, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's different words, you know, and there's a lot of confusion across denominations about what's what and how and everything. But, you know, one of the things that just struck me was when, when those 120 believers were in that upper room, you know, and they were praying and they were waiting for whatever God told them to wait for, and all of a sudden that wind came in and, and the tongues of fire came and they end up speaking in tongues and all that, I want to tell you a lot of stuff happened that day in an instant. A lot of things, you know, some people say, well, that was the birthday of the church. That's when the church was born. That's when everybody got born again for the first time, Okay fine. And they say, well, that's when the Holy Spirit came to indwell the believers. That's great. Yeah. That's when the Holy Spirit was poured out in a baptism of fire. Yeah, that's what happened too. But understand on that day, it all happened in a moment, all at one time. But you get just a few chapters later into chapter, chapter eight, when Philip's going down to Samaria, all of a sudden you see the same things happening, but they're not happening all at the same time. They're happening in different orders. They're, 
They're getting mixed up a little bit. You get what I'm saying? So Stephen goes down, or Philip rather, goes down there to Samaria and he preaches Jesus. There's signs and wonders that are done. It says demons were cast out, paralyzed people were healed. We're seeing miracles and the people actually believed. They confessed Jesus. They believed in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. They were baptized. But nobody at that point had received the Holy Spirit the way that they did in that upper room in Acts chapter two until the disciples went down later, laid hands on them, and they received the Spirit. Isn't that cool? But all of a sudden, see, what happened all at once in a moment in Acts chapter 2 happened as a process already in Acts chapter 8. When we look at Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was the first Gentile to receive the salvation and new birth and the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter was sent to his house and he starts preaching the word. And Peter, I mean, he's telling him about Jesus. He's quoting one of my favorite verses in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went, around, he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And he's preaching this sermon and he didn't even get a chance to lead him into the sinner's prayer. All of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit hits them and they're speaking in tongues and prophesying and, and doing all these things. And they did, he, again, he didn't, have to, he didn't have time to say, who wants to receive Jesus by your head? Raise your head. No, the Spirit just came. It was like, I can't wait. <laughs> they believe. Boom. He did the miracle in their heart. Then Peter's playing catch-up. He's like, whoa. Well, if they receive the Holy Spirit, I guess we should give them water to be baptized in too, right? It's like, wait a minute, Peter. <laughs> You're messing up the order of this thing. And then you get over to uh, Paul when he's over in Ephesus. Um, I love that. That's Acts chapter what, 19, I think. Yeah, 19. And um, he shows up in Ephesus, and he finds these 12 men who were there. And the Bible says they were believers. They were believers. They'd heard uh, Jesus proclaimed. And if you read the whole context, you, you, it, it suggests that this man named Apollos went through Ephesus first, and he preached Jesus. <clears throat> but Apollos only understood, um, it says... Excuse me. It says that um, Apollo spoke accurately the things concerning Jesus. So he was accurate in what he knew, but he only knew John's baptism. How many of you know John's baptized with water unto repentance in water? And then he said, but after me is coming one who's mightier than I, whose sandals I am not fit to untie. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and, and fire, right? And so this is all these men understood. So uh, uh, uh Paul shows up there and uh, he lays his hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. So all of a sudden you see what they received all at one time in, in Acts chapter two, you see three different accounts that I've just read where things happen in a subsequent order. It, it didn't happen all at once. It came in different stages as they understood and as they entered into it. So which one's right? I mean, my, my point of that is this, don't get too worked up on the order of things. Don't get too worked up on the order of things. God has all kinds of different ways of, of bringing us to this place in the scripture, but go after everything that God has for you. Go after everything that God has for you. Maybe you don't have the understanding of that next step. You know, he said, he went to them and said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And then he 
declared them to, to them the word of God more accurately, as it says in one part, and they received the Holy Spirit, you know? So did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive these things when you believed? You know, this gift of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, the prophesying, a life of, of the Spirit, the abundance of the Spirit is for me and it's for you. It's for everybody. And it's the blatant theme of the book of Acts, really. The, the power of the Holy Spirit, the life in the Spirit. And so just honestly, if you've not experienced that, go for it. Go for it today. Make a decision. Set your heart to receive that from God. It's yours to receive. Some people receive in an instant. They prepare their hearts and they're ready for it, man. They say, lay your hands on me. I'll receive. Boom. They, they break. Other people, you hear their stories. They search for it for a while before they enter into it. Like I said, there's many ways, but don't stop. Don't stop. God has big things for us in our lives. Come on. And so we need to, we need to push into everything that he has for us. So if you've not experienced that, that, decide today to go after it. Make it yours. Jesus has already made it. In his mind, he's provided it for you. He's already given it for you, you know? You ever make a decision to give something away, maybe to one of your kids or to a friend or something, and once you make that decision, that thing might still be in your possession, but it's already given in your mind, right? That's Jesus. I, I, God, he's like, I already, I already made provision for this. I've already made it. Anybody who wants to come and take it can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But if you have received the Spirit's power, if you've experienced that, what you need to do is you need to, you need to continue to develop and deepen that relationship. You need to maintain that relationship. You know, in all of these things, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. I'm going to invite you in the, in the few minutes I have left here today. I'm going to get these out of the way. Here we go. I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke. And uh, how, many, how many of you know we just finished 21 days of prayer and feasting, and one of the last books we read was Luke. And so <laughs> reading through Luke, I just this just kind of was uh, stirring in my heart as I saw these things. Um, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, it's talking about the baptism of Jesus. It says, so when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Isn't that amazing? So, I mean, here's Jesus coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit and in a bodily form. I don't know what that looked like. Some people draw pictures of a dove to try to represent that. It doesn't say he even looked like a dove. It just says he descended in bodily form like a dove. Um, so, the Spirit's there, and then you hear the voice of God speaking to him, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You know, and this is, verses, passages like this is where we get our, what we would call our Trinitarian formula, our Trinitarian doctrine, you know? We know from the scriptures that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all, they are God. But you see in passages like this, where the Holy, Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, the Father is not Jesus, because Jesus being present there, the Holy Spirit being present in bodily form, 
the Father speaking from heaven in a voice. You see there the three persons. I mean, is this a theological idea saying persons, but they are three in one. The Trinity actually means tri-unity because we see these three expressions of God in the scriptures. And I can't explain it beyond that. I can just believe it. There's probably people who can explain it more, but be careful because nobody can really explain it completely. But uh, that's where we get the idea of the, um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. But here's my point. If Jesus, think about this. If Jesus, who was born of the Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and that which was conceived in her was God, a holy thing, right? Here's Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit, needed to be again, somehow baptized in the Holy Spirit. How much more do you and I, who are born again by that same Spirit, indwelt by that same Spirit, also need to receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit? We're never going to get to beyond Jesus. We're not going to, Jesus didn't sit there and say, well, I got everything when I believed and didn't seek the Lord. <laughs> everything Jesus did is an example for us. So how much more than do we who have been born again by the Spirit need a baptism with the Holy Spirit? Look at verse uh, uh, chapter 4, just the next chapter over, verse 1 and 2. I love this. So Jesus comes up out of the water. Um, the voice speaks from heaven and all this stuff, right? And then, and then Luke breaks away and gives a little genealogy. But immediately after the baptism, it says in 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And then for 40 days, he went there and he was fasting and praying and he was tempted by the devil. But I think it's so interesting because why does the... Why do the scriptures so many times say that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, isn't Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God all one, right? They are, right? But why so many times does it say that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, moved by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit? And if Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, moved by the Holy Spirit, and filled with the Holy Spirit, how much more should you and I be led by the Holy Spirit? moved by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, right? This is the life that God has for us. And out of his own mouth, I mean, Jesus even said, it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, right? It's not me, the Father within me does the work. He, he said in uh, Matthew 12, 24, the Pharisees, he was delivering people from demons, you know, all that stuff that he did that just made them, got their <laughs> fur all riled up, you know, <laughs> got them so angry. He's doing the work and the Pharisees heard it and they said, it's by the Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. What a horrific accusation. And then Jesus goes on and explains that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And if Satan's divided against Satan, he can't stand. But he says this in verse 28, but if it's by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. <laughs> come on. And if it's by the spirit of God, he did it by the spirit of God. Where the spirit is, there's the kingdom of God. And of course, I quoted it earlier, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed. Here's another one of those Trinity verses. Think about it. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, right? How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus need to be anointed by the Holy Spirit? You figure that out. All I know is if Jesus needed to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, I need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. 
If Jesus needed to receive the Holy Spirit, I need to receive the Holy Spirit. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Why? Because where the Spirit is, there's power. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, right? right? There's the power of God at work. Come on, the kingdom that we serve is a powerful kingdom. It's a kingdom of power. He's not given us a spirit of timidity, but what? Of power, of love, and a sound mind. Self-discipline, if you read the newer translations. Power. So look at, um, look at four and we're, we just read four, one and two. He returns full of the Holy Spirit and, or he go, he's led by the spirit into the wilderness. And that's where he was tempted for 40 days. And, and like, I like to say, when I read that, that's one of the places that we don't need the Holy Spirit to lead us out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, because most of us will find our own way into the wilderness and into temptation. <laughs> Even the Lord's prayer says what? Lead us not into temptation. I mean, so, I mean, Jesus did have a special unique ministry in the fact that he needed to be led right into it by the Holy Spirit to fulfill what he had to do. He was tempted in all ways like we are yet without sin. But boy, I'll tell you what, it's a lot better to not be tempted at all. God, lead me not into temptation. That's why Paul tells Timothy to flee youthful lusts. Flee them. Don't sit there and try to overcome them. Run, turn around, point your feet the other direction and start moving. (laughs) We need to avoid temptation. But if you look in chapter four and skip down to verse 14 and 15, um. He overcomes Satan in the wilderness. Um, and it says, when he begins his ministry, he's coming back from the wilderness here. And in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Again, I love it. Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's out there for 40 days. In the desert, him and Jesus and the angels and the wild animals and the devil. And he overcomes. And when he's done with that 40 days, man, he comes back and he is in the power of the Spirit. I mean, what was, what was going on in his life that they recognized that Jesus was in the power of the Holy Spirit? Think about it. Look continue reading. He goes into the synagogue. He comes to Nazareth in in, uh, verse 16, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, this is something, I love this. This is something he would, I mean, he's brought up in this town. They knew him since he was a little boy, you know, picture the 12 year old boy coming to the synagogue with his dad and watching the old man, you know, then he disappears for 40 days. They don't know where he is. And then he just comes back home. I mean, he's been doing this all his life, you know, and he comes into uh, this in Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and uh, he goes into the synagogue. They hand him the scroll, just like they've been doing all this time. They hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls it, and he finds this place, and he reads what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. We are not going to get very far in our evangelism and proclamation of the good news without the Spirit of the Lord on us. For, for Jesus to be a preacher of the gospel, he had to have what? The spirit of the Lord. 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Listen, he didn't send him over there just to set the captives free. He actually sent him to proclaim liberty and to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. What does that mean? The spirits told him, I'm already doing this. Go and proclaim it. And that's our job to go and proclaim it. But we've got to be sent. We've got to be anointed by the Holy Spirit because we're not saying the gospel. Come on. The gospel is not my message. It's not my own message. The gospel is his message. And he says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, he rolled the scroll up, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Everybody's eyes are on him. And then he says this, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today. I mean, I've been coming to the synagogue for 30 years now, man, <laughs> reading with you guys all the time. But there's something about today because I've been in the wilderness, man, with God. I'm in the power of the spirit. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and it makes everything different. And this is how Jesus launched his ministry. How much more do we need the Holy Spirit to launch our ministry? How much more do we need the Holy Spirit in our church? I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about how did Jesus maintain this relationship with the Holy Spirit, okay? Because he had to maintain the relationship with the Holy Spirit just like we do. Again, everything Jesus did is for our example. If you'll go over, just flip. Like I told you we're going to stay in Luke here for a long time. Flip over to Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Chapter 5 and 16. Jesus had just healed a leper, you know, and people are starting. <laughs> I love it. I was reading this to Abigail, and, and uh, he heals the leper. You know, he heals people, and Jesus says, tell no one. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Shh. Abigail's like, why didn't he want anybody to know? You know, because I mean, what do we get? We're, we're always like, go share the gospel. Talk about Jesus. But Jesus is doing these miracles. He's like, shh, shh, don't tell anybody what I just did. And she's like, why didn't Jesus want anybody to know? Well, if you read it, you know, my answer to her is the same answer to you. When people, when the word got out, he couldn't enter town. He, he had to stay out in wilderness places. It just made it more difficult for him to move around, you know. But, uh, but the news kept spreading and kept spreading. Why? Because, you know, I mean, think about that. You know, John the Baptist was out preaching in the wilderness, man, and people were coming all the way from Judea to hear him. If you know where that's at on the map, they were traveling because they heard this crazy rabbi wearing camel hair and eating grasshoppers, baptizing people out in the desert, and they came to hear his message. Man, if you are filled with the message that the world needs to hear, I believe people will come to hear it. I really believe that. In Acts chapter 4, they were praying, and it says the place where they were was shaken. They didn't have to go find some kind of, you know, spiritual place where the anointing was aglow. No, the place where they were was shaken. Come on, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The place where you are is holy ground, man. So Luke chapter 15, or Luke chapter 5 and verse 15, it says, now even more than, see, this is what happened. The, he went around and told people. So even more, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But what would Jesus do in verse 16? It says, he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. He would get away from the crowd. He'd get away from the busyness to pray. 
His time alone with the Father was a priority. He didn't just do what he did. He did what he did because he spent time alone with God. He maintained that closeness with the Spirit. He maintained that relationship with the Spirit. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It says, in these days, again, I'm just surprised at how many times this repeats it over and over and over. Uh, In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, come on, this is an all-nighter, man. All night, he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12. So basically, he's, he's getting ready to pick the 12 disciples, the dirty dozen, the famous ones, you know, the, that we hear about, the ones who are going to continue to, to preach the, the gospel after he goes. And he spends all night in prayer. Come on, it is perfectly okay and in line to spend some time praying over big decisions in your life. I mean, Jesus did. I mean, he, he you know, he's Jesus. I mean, you would expect that he just knew, right? <laughs> Doesn't he know everything? Doesn't he have a word from the Lord? Whatever. He spent all night in prayer before he chose these 12. I mean, he already knew. He, in prayer, he already knew one was going to betray him. He knew it the whole time. He knew it every time he took money out of the bag. It didn't surprise him. Surprised everybody else. It didn't surprise him. But he spent all night in prayer, all night in prayer before he, he um, chooses them. And then he appoints them to become um, apostles. If you'll skip down to verse 17 with me, after they're done praying all night, and he's done appointing them, they come down. He comes down with them, it says, and stood on a level place with the great crowd of his disciples. So he comes down with the 12. You know, every time it says disciples in the Bible, it doesn't mean just the 12, right? He, he was up in the mountain with the 12. He comes down with the 12, and there's a bunch of other disciples there who are following him, and, and a great multitude of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem, the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 18 who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him why for power came out of him and healed them all all night in prayer he walks down there man and power is just radiating out of him healing all if jesus needed to spend a night in prayer do you think that you might need to spend some time in prayer Luke 9 and 28. This is a neat, this is a, <laughs> this is a neat passage. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. It says, eight days after these things, not the things I just talked about, this is sometime later, but eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to do what? Still awake? He went up on the mountain to what? To pray. Thank you. Okay, a little better. Listen to his prayer time with God, okay? See, this is when James and John and Peter got to go. What If this is what happened when they were standing there looking, what was his prayer time actually really like? When he'd go up and spend all night with God, man. He was praying. The appearance of his face was altered. His clothing clothing became dazzling white. Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory, and they were talking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. This is crazy stuff, man. If you came and told me you were talking to Moses and Elijah, I'd probably tell you you were crazy. But this, is, this was Jesus' prayer life, man. 
This was Jesus's prayer life. So there, he's up there with the disciples. They have this experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what we call it, on the Mount. And he's praying and he's encountering God. The disciples are there as a witness to this. And the next day when he comes down from the mountain, down at verse 37, there was a crowd. Again, he's so surrounded by activity that he had to get away. He had to go up to a desert place. He goes down there and the man from the crowd cries out, teacher, uh, I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child. The spirit seizes him and an evil spirit seizes him, suddenly cries out and, and he throws them in the water and all this stuff. And, and Jesus, and he says, I beg, verse 40, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't do it. Okay. These aren't the three who are with them. This is the remaining disciples down there and they couldn't do it. And Jesus coming from the mountain, just coming from this time of prayer with the father says, you perverted, unbelieving generation. How long do I have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And he heals him and he gives him back to his father. And they're, they're just blown away by what he's doing. And uh, later on, it doesn't say it here in the Luke passage, but later on, they asked him. Um, see where I have it. I think I maybe left it out. But they asked him. And in Matthew, he said, this kind comes out, by, but by prayer. That's what it says, by prayer. Some, some translations add prayer and fasting, but the most reliable and the oldest translations all say, by prayer, by prayer. And uh, I think it was, it was either, it was the other one, Mark, it says that uh, it was, be, why couldn't we drive them out because of your lack of faith, your lack of faith. I mean, if you have faith, <laughs> you can move mountains, right? But your time of prayer, I mean, it's not necessarily, you understand, Jesus was praying, came down, encountered the devil, just rolled him over like steamroller, right? Jesus didn't start praying at the encounter with the devil. He lived a life of prayer. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Do you get where I'm going with this? So it's not like, okay, so many times we wait until we have the opposition, till we have the encounter and we need help and we start praying and seeking God. Okay, Jesus was already up there. The disciples couldn't do it. But Jesus, who had been in the presence of God, in prayer with God, comes down and the devil was just, I mean, he was, it was just, he was annoyed by it. Think about it. It wasn't like, oh, here's a big one. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Let's call everybody and let's get our prayer chain going. Come on, we got to do battle. He just comes over there. He's like, you guys are annoying me. When are you going to have faith? And he immediately heals the man. Why? Because of his life of prayer. If Jesus needed to be alone with the Father, how much more do you and I need to be alone with the Father? Yeah, Matthew, I found my notes. I didn't put the verses down. Matthew said it was their lack of faith. Mark said this kind is driven out by prayer. So what could a life of prayer do for you? I want to, This is the last verse I want to read, but it's, I say verse, it's a lot of verses, okay? I'm going to say this is the last chapter I'm going to read. No, uh, go, go with me to Luke chapter 11. Um, we're going to skip around it just a little bit. Yeah, Luke chapter 11. I'm glad you said that because I said Luke and then flipped to John. don't know how I got to John. Luke chapter 11. There we go. Yeah. Again, look how the chapter begins. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Here he is praying. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. 
And he said to him, when you pray, and he goes on and we see the Lord's prayer here. One of the things that I, I, I see in that little dialogue there with Jesus and the disciples that is so interesting to me is this. Um, people say, oh, I want to learn how to pray. And what do we say? Oh, praying is easy. It's just talking to God. And, and, and I, that's true. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just coming down on that. But when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, he didn't say, oh, praying is easy. It's just talking to God. No, he actually took the time to instruct them. And this whole chapter, the whole first part of this chapter is instruction on how to pray, the attitude of prayer, not just the words to say, but how to pray, what, what's going on in your heart. I mean, this is a reflection of what's going on in Jesus's heart when he's praying. Understand that. So all this time alone on the mountains with God, this is what's stirring in his heart. This is what he's doing. He's not doing one thing and telling the disciples to do something else, right? He's telling them how to pray. And so he's, he, I'm not going to read it, but you see the Lord's prayer there, Luke's version of it, and skip down to verse five, and he goes on and he starts, um, uh, he starts just giving some illustrations. Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say, "Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and have nothing to set out before him," and he'll answer from within, "Don't bother me now because the door is shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything." So here's a person who goes to a friend just to ask for a favor, and he hits resistance. He gets a, a no from his neighbor. And Jesus is saying, when you have a promise from God, don't take a no for an answer. Keep pushing through. Be bold. Be, be pushy in prayer. Um, it says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is friend, yet because of his impudence, isn't that a neat word? His impudence, his, his bold asking, his audacity just to keep knocking and ask. You understand? He wouldn't take no for an answer. And because of that, he says he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This is the attitude that Jesus is saying to have in prayer. Go after it. Don't stop. You ask and you didn't get something right away. That doesn't mean to stop asking. You're supposed to keep pushing into these things, right? Keep pushing, keep pushing after God. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of stuff in this world that's going to resist you because the world does not work for us. It works against us. This whole world system is not designed to help us. It's designed to hinder us. Satan is not working for us. He's working against us. We have all these enemies and all these things that we need to push through and those who will push through, right? The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent lay hold of it. Some of us just need to probably get a little more violent. The right, godly violence, right? Come on, godly violence, right? You know, a John Lake, missionary to Africa and all that, he had an amazing healing ministry. You know how he would teach people with number one principle to get healed? Get fed up. Yeah. Just get fed up. <laughs> get fed up. Sometimes we just have to have a, 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 a audacity about us for, if we're going to enter in and grow in the things of God. So he says, I tell you, he'll not get, get up and give him anything because he's his friend. In other words, their friendship obviously wasn't that great. <laughs> but because of his audacity, his impudence, he'll give him whatever he needs. And so he says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. He's telling them, don't stop. Don't stop. This can be found by you if you will keep pushing in. And he says, what father is among you? 
If his son asks for a fish, understand this is the same passage here. This is all the same topic. If his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, listen to this, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A part of your prayer life needs to be seeking that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maintaining that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Like I said, if you've not had that experience with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, man, it's yours. Decide to go for it. If you have, I just want to encourage you to maintain it. Go after it. Stir it up. Stir it up. You know, you even read, I mean, different, different, um, it's amazing in the book of Acts, you know, in Acts chapter two, Peter's, his head's glowing, man. It's on fire. You know, the Holy Spirit's, and then you see a few chapters later, he's riding through Jerusalem. And if anybody could just get in his shadow, they got healed, man. God is just using him mightily, you know? And then, you know, you get a little while later and, and they're wondering if even if Gentiles can be saved or not, you know, it, it, it's not something that's just automatic. You have to Continue, you have to protect and cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit. You have to stir it up. You have to spend your time. If Jesus had to spend time alone with the Father in prayer, then so do I. And so today, I just want to, I just want to encourage you today. Go after God. Go after God. Seek him with all your heart. What's he been putting on your heart? You know, we're still in January, right? We still, we're almost, almost out of January. It's still the beginning of the year. What, what things is he speaking to you about what you're going to do this year? Are they just going to fall out of heaven and hit you? Or are there some things that you need to go after, to stir up, to pursue, pursue in prayer, ask, search, knock? Because the door is open to the one who knocks and is given to the one who asks. And it's found by the one who seeks. You know, uh, what's the verse? Is it James, Carolyn? It says, you have not because you ask not, right? Sometimes we don't have what we, what we need just simply because we don't ask for it. So what's he moving on your heart? Man, spend time with God this year. Ask him for it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. This is a blessing to you today. All right. Stay stirred up, all right? Father God, we love you. We just thank you for your word. We thank you. Oh, we thank you for the provisions that you've made for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord. Father God, oh, maybe we be a church that just stirs up that gift that's within us, Lord, that we spend time with you and we can truly reflect Jesus and represent you to the world, Lord. Father God, we search for you. We seek you. We find you. We walk in you. We walk in relationship with you. Father God, we'll never be at a place where we don't need to rely on the Holy Spirit, where we don't need to seek your counsel and seek your wisdom. Father God, we search for you. We look for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. We defer to you. We need your leading, Lord. We need your guidance, Lord. We need your power on our lives, Father God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May this church be a church that's known for the power of the Holy Spirit to set captives free, to drive out sickness and disease, and to heal people Oh, heal our bodies, heal our hearts, heal our emotions, Father God.